Podcast. Andrew Dowdy, Chase Kitty here for part four of the College Football Neighborhood Series. Thanks to you if you've checked out the first three parts. We've crafted one, two, three, four neighborhoods in those first three parts of the show, and we're going to get after neighborhood five today. And since we already basically put, I don't know, eight or ten teams or so into that neighborhood on Monday's episode unofficially, saying that they didn't belong in four, we had extended conversations on several teams in Miami, North Carolina, Baylor. Kentucky, Tennessee among them, but we think they probably will be in five because we already crafted a good chunk of that neighborhood. I'm guessing we'll have time to hop into the sixth neighborhood as well, and then I'm not sure how many will be after that. What are you thinking right now? I mean, do you think that we're going to have like eight total? I remember before we started this, for whatever reason, I just threw out 20, and I don't think we're going to get to 20. You were around six. Where are you at right now? Because it seems very clear we're not going to have six. You think we'll have seven or eight maybe? I think I'm in the eight to nine range right now. I guess it's going to depend on how we shake out across these next couple episodes and how how specific we want to be with certain criteria. But yeah, it's 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 going to come in under ten. I think. I think it will be. I think it'll be seven or eight. We'll see what we get to. We're going to define the fifth neighborhood here. Probably end up defining the sixth one by the time we're done. Really quickly in that fourth neighborhood, in case you. Uh, don't remember on Monday or you missed that episode. In that fourth neighborhood, we had USC, Florida State, Washington, Oklahoma State, Iowa, Virginia Tech. Felt pretty good about those teams being locks or near locks. Didn't even have that many discussions around them. And then G5, Boise State, UCF, Cincinnati, also Louisville, and Kansas State. And we defined that fourth neighborhood as top 40-ish, consistent top 25 to 40 teams that are going to be winning 7-10 to 10 games every year, pop up for that playoff contention maybe once a decade, maybe once every 7 or 8 years, kind of in that ballpark. Avoid more than one or two bad seasons in this decade coming up, those being those 5-win seasons. You can have maybe one or two of those, but mostly stay in that ballpark of 7-10 to 10 win seasons over the next decade. You mentioned before we hopped on here that, that you have an idea of how we want to define neighborhood 5. What are you thinking? So for me, I think the starting point where you, where you have to drive from here is once you get into neighborhood five, I'm going to kind of stop thinking about the playoff and national championships, right? That's kind of off the table, I think, going forward. I think everybody else is going to define success a little bit differently. They want to be good. They want to win games. They want to be relevant. They want to compete maybe every few years for a conference championship. But I think for most of the teams that we have left, big lofty things like national championships and playoff bursts, probably off the table. So for me, I think when you when you start getting into the middle class, kind of like we are this episode, I think the differentiators are how, like what is your height? What What is the highest possible level of your potential? When you have a really good team, is it, an eight win team? Is it a 10 win team that is competing for a new year's day game? Is it like, where are you when you're really good? I think that's the biggest separator here. So for me, a neighborhood five team should be a team that when they're good, it's pretty good. Like the highs are pretty high and maybe they have some consistency issues 
or maybe you know they, they average out to only seven or eight wins a year. But when they're really good, the potential is pretty high. That versus neighborhood six, which is maybe a much more strictly middle class kind of neighborhood. I'm I'm kind of going into this thinking that neighborhood six is like the guy who works at the bank and he works eight to five every day, comes home, eats meatloaf, has sex with his wife in the missionary position, like very straightforward, not a lot of frills kind of thing. Did you, did you write that down ahead of time or that just came out? That was all organic, baby. Jesus Christ. Wow. That was phenomenal. Can we, can we chop? Hey, guys, can we chop that one up? Save that for the Christmas episode, <laughs> get, maybe? Just get the production team on that right away. Can we get that on that? Talk about lands and catalogs and uh, whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> couple of notes here on that. I think you nailed it with Clemson being. <laughs> I, Do God, you need that a was phenomenal. <laughs> I might. I might. <laughs> I think you nailed it with the whole national championship being out of the equation because when you first started saying that, I'm thinking, well, where was Clemson 10 years ago? They were probably in this ballpark, like maybe a fringe four, maybe probably more likely like a firm five, but they are so far removed. I mean, they're an anomaly to an anomaly. Like they are so far removed from what can happen to a college football team going from such a middling program with a word literally named for what you have been doing for several years to basically running through the late 2010s as a dynasty. So I don't even know if I have a beef with that, but I thought I'd bring it up. Yeah, yeah. Other- just to jump in there for one quick minute, it kind of goes back to something we said, I think, last episode or maybe two episodes. Just because something is hypothetically possible doesn't mean it's realistic for these conversations, right? So stuff like Clemson, I think we just kind of throw out. We, and like some of these teams that we had mentioned before that I assume are going to be in this neighborhood, Miami, Baylor, North Carolina, Tennessee, like TCU, Iowa State, maybe not so much that latter part of what I just said, but could Tennessee win a national championship this, this decade? Of course they could. Like, could Miami win a national championship this, this decade? Of course they could. But the, the odds of that happening and, like you said, the ceiling of what they are more likely to do is still so far away from that. I mean, even going into 2011 with Clemson, I mean, looking back on it, it was it was nine, seven, six win seasons. Could If we had talked 10 years ago and said, could Clemson win a national championship this decade? Sure, we could have never imagined in our wildest dreams what they were going to do from, what, 2015-ish on for the last five years of that decade. But yeah, these teams could, in some sort of world, win a national championship this decade. So we're not even saying that they couldn't do that, but I think you nailed it with how you explained it. The second piece is something that I also brought up when we were uh, putting together the fourth neighborhood. When I said I think it's also important to note, and like I said in the lead-in, that these teams can have bad seasons. I'm talking about the fourth neighborhood here. Those teams could have bad seasons. They can have the five, the six-win season, but not more than a couple of times. I think with this fifth neighborhood, they can have that season, and maybe it is 30 40% of the next decade. They might go, let's take Iowa State, for example, just because we're talking about them. Iowa State could have three seasons in which they go five and seven or six and six, and that would be okay for this neighborhood. Now, I don't know if there's some sort of bottom seller to that, saying like if Iowa State goes three and nine, would that disqualify them? I don't know, and I'm not even sure we want to put a number on that, uh, but I am fine with how you describe it. Do you want to get into the locks now of teams that we kind of left over from the last neighborhood? Yeah, I think we can run through a lot of those, and they would almost drop directly into neighborhood five. Yeah, yeah, because we talked, like I said, Miami. I think Miami's in this one, correct? Miami's a five, yeah. 
Miami's a five. I think Baylor is a five. We can agree with that. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think they are too. Tennessee, Kentucky, North Carolina. Are you fine with them? Tennessee, Kentucky, North Carolina. I know that you were hesitant. I think you actually said that you would have considered Kentucky more for four than Tennessee. Does that mean that you don't want to put Tennessee in this neighborhood? I'm happy to put uh, Kentucky in five and not look back. I'm good with that. Uh, Tennessee and and North Carolina. I'm not saying no. Uh, I would like you to plead your case to me before the college football gods. I I know we talked a little bit about this in the last episode, but just sort of to recap why you think they belong here, because you're higher on them both than I am. It's purely potential. I mean, like you said, the ceiling is going to be like that that 10-11 win season. Like, that's the max. These aren't really teams that are going to challenge for the playoff, actually challenge for the playoff. And North Carolina has done that. You can argue the schedule a few years ago if they were actually that good of a team going to the ACC championship game. I don't know, but they've, they've already done that over the last decade. They did that last decade, so I think there's no reason to think they could do that moving forward especially with, I'm giving Mac Brown a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. If they're doing what they're doing on the recruiting trail, something is going right. And there's reason for me to believe that not necessarily they're going to put together top five classes for the next five years, but I think we are going to see a little bit of stability. Mac Brown's not leaving North Carolina for another job. Like this is it for Mac Brown. If he can put together a few of these top 10, top 15, even top 20 recruiting classes, there's no reason for me to believe they can't get back to where they were when Larry Fedora had them humming, and they weren't even bringing in this kind of talent that Mac Brown is currently working on. So I think that the ceiling for them is where they were, and there's no reason to believe they can't do it again. Same thing for Tennessee. I mean, Tennessee hasn't really been there. We talked about uh, on Monday all those nine-win seasons. That's not quite where I think they had to go like a little bit step above that. Uh, for Tennessee, it's more like it has to happen sometime, right? With all these recruiting classes that you're bringing in, with the resources that you have, with the money that you have, the facilities that you have, for me, it's just like, when is this going to happen? Like, it has to happen at some point, or is that just dog shit logic? Um, I, I think dog shit's a strong word, but I don't, I don't think I agree with it. Uh, I, I want to circle back to North Carolina in a second. I'm, I'm with you on putting them in neighborhood five. I'm fine with that. I think they have an interesting West Coast parallel that I want to get to in a couple minutes. Uh, with Tennessee, I, I want to ask you something, and I think it's going to sound a little dramatic and hot takey up front, but I do think if you sit and think about it and try to list the teams out, it, it, it holds up. Would you say Tennessee is a top 10 program in the SEC? That's a fun question. So who's below them? South Carolina's below them. Vanderbilt's below them. Mississippi State's below them. So what's that, three? That was three. Ole Miss, I would probably put below them in terms of, yeah, as a, as a program overall, I would put Ole Miss below them. Is Ole Miss going to do more than what Tennessee is going to do for the next 10 years? I don't know. But as a program overall, yeah, I'd put them. Yeah, they're a top 10 program. Do you they have them at are. 10? God, that's a good question. No. I would put Arkansas below them. I don't know how I forgot Arkansas. Arkansas. yeah. Just right. for how low Arkansas is. I mean, we saw what Arkansas can do. They shouldn't be this bad. But just how, I mean, I'm doing my rankings right now. Arkansas is like a fringe top 100 team in college football with how low they are and how low they've got. They haven't won against a power five team since 2017. Yeah, I saw that stat. You had that stat on Twitter the other day. It was fantastic. Yeah, so that would put them at nine. Missouri, I would put them above Missouri. So that would bump them up to eight. 
I think my my larger point here, I guess, is if if you're saying Tennessee top half of the SEC or bottom half of the SEC, I think they're in the bottom half. And if that's the case, I don't think you can put them in neighborhood five. I think you have to put them in six. Why? I don't see there. The, we, last week we were talking, or last episode we talked about traffic in the Big Twelve, and there's too much traffic. It feels like there's too much traffic for Tennessee. So who have we said from the SEC? Let's let's go through that. Does it sound like I just have a raging Tennessee hate boner in the last couple episodes? Because I don't. Yeah, I mean, you kind of yelled at them saying their fans are law, which they are. But, I mean, I'll I'll give props to Tennessee fans. They've showed up big time and watched some really, really bad teams underperform. Anyways, SEC teams. So we've gone through Alabama, Georgia, Florida, LSU. So that's four. And then we did Auburn, that's five. A&M, that's six. So if I'm putting Tennessee and Kentucky, I don't even really want to talk about them that much anymore because we kind of got there. But if, I, if I'm putting Tennessee ahead of Kentucky, I'm saying they're seven. And you can interchange them with Kentucky as much as you want going to the next decade. So they would be seven and eight. And then I don't really see anybody else that I would put with them right now. I mean, then, then you're getting into talking about Mississippi State, South Carolina, Ole Miss, Missouri. So yeah, I'd probably put them at seven or eight as a program overall and going into this next decade. I would put them in this neighborhood. Okay. Will I, will, I will defer to you, but I think there's a case to make for six. I think Kentucky's clearly in five. I think North Carolina, I'm, I'm totally good with it, putting them in five. I think the analog for, for North Carolina is Arizona State, right? Yeah. Like, where is Herm Edwards going, you know? Yeah. And yeah, they're I mean, going to be good. Hired, they're they're going to be a solid team. We're widely mocked, Herm Edwards more so, and I still want to see Herm Edwards recruit the state of Arizona better, but he's going into California and plucking all of these guys a little bit different with North Carolina. I mean, they're plucking guys from SEC schools, whereas Arizona State is plucking guys from USC, from from Cal, from UCLA. Sure. I mean, that, that's a different deal, of course. But, yeah, absolutely. And I think that Arizona State has a strong argument to be in this neighborhood. It's been weird because I mean, expectations for Herm Edwards are so, so low that Arizona State hasn't even been that great. They've been kind of just like how they were in the final couple of years under Todd Graham. But they have so far exceeded expectations, and now with what they're doing in recruiting, I really, really like the potential, and that's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of like North Carolina, the state of the ACC and the state of the Pac-12, where the Pac-12 is so ripe for a team to jump up, depending on if Utah can reload, and we've given Kyle Whittingham the benefit of the doubt a hundred times on this show, depending on what Stanford can do after the disasters last season, but the Pac-12, just like the ACC, is just waiting for a team to jump up there and challenge Oregon, and we'll see what happens with USC and all that. But I think there's a strong argument that Arizona State is in this neighborhood too. I think so too. Uh, what what kind of uh, what kind of G five programs are you thinking for this neighborhood? Well, we need to get back to Memphis because they were brought up in the fourth neighborhood, and we both kind of just said Memphis isn't in this neighborhood. Does that mean they're not even in this fifth neighborhood, or is there a discussion to be had on them? I think there's a discussion to be had. I think Memphis is a team. We can kind of argue it either way because of where they're at right now, specifically in the summer of 2020 with coaching changes and, and where the program is going. I think you could make the case they're going to fall back toward the pack a little bit in the American. Uh, but I don't know if you want to make that case, but I think it's there to make that they're closer to six than five. How much of that is what's going to happen with coaching in the American? I mean, if, if Luke Fickle leaves, yes, we talked about on Monday that Cincinnati deserves the benefit of the doubt to find that guy to keep him in the 9 to 10, 11 win range. 
I could really see Josh Hypo leaving. How much of that is there's just not room in the American for Memphis to stay in that 10 to 11 win range? Or how much of it is I don't quite trust them? I mean, I mean, how, how much? I guess, I guess, how much do you trust them? I mean, now we're going on what 2014 was that? I think that was a third year under Fuente when they really turned it around, and ever since then they've been exactly what we're talking about here: eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve wins every single season now for six years. This is their third coaching change, or is this more of a wait and see where Ryan Silverfield isn't as much of a known commodity? I mean, loosely using that term with Fuente and Norvell. They were known as as commodities in Power 5 uh, coordinator roles, but they weren't known really in head coaching. But anyways, Ryan Silverfield's a little bit different deal. Do you want to take a wait-and-see approach with them, or how much benefit? I just asked you like 14 questions. How do you want to approach Memphis? If you told me we should give them the benefit of the doubt because they've been high-level for half of a decade now, I don't think I have a good counter to that uh, other than... I think it weighs more than, I mean, going back, they were horrible. Like, they were good, like, in the early 2000s, but then they got really, really bad. I mean, I, I remember when Justin Fuente took that job, I remember thinking, why do you even want this job? They were a team that won five total games from 9 to 11. Even when he first got there and they made the American transition, they were still bad. But I'm putting more weight in what they've done over the last six years than what happened in the three years before them. And I trust that Memphis will make either – if Ryan Silverfield then leaves again for a job just like the last two have or whatever happens, I trust Memphis to make the right hire. I think they're in this neighborhood. Memphis is in. Who else in the American goes into this? Uh, so we've already got we've already got Cincinnati and UCF uh, accounted for. They We put them in four. Now we're saying Memphis is here. Who else goes here from I that think conference? the only other teams that we need to talk about are SMU, App State, Maybe we can talk about Tulane and then Navy. Any of those teams really get you excited? I think App State has to be here because you can't put them in the straight middle class kind of neighborhood. I the 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 year to year potential is too high. They they're too consistent across too many coaching changes. You have to put them in this neighborhood that's got a little bit of of, of sauce to it. Actually, another one that we might want to talk about is Houston. And you can talk about Dana Holgerson a lot deeper than I can. I don't like that moving forward. I didn't really like that jump. Um, It kind of just felt desperate on his part where he was actively looking for another job. There are rumors of Texas Tech. I don't like how everything went down last year. And we still don't even know all the details about the redshirting thing and basically tanking and all that crap. I just There's something about that dynamic that I haven't liked at all. And honestly, I think Houston's kind of been overrated for the last several years like Tom Herman did well there but that was a program I mean he didn't walk into a program and rebuild them and after Tony Levine they were still in good shape so I just feel like Houston's kind of been overrated and they don't live in the same neighborhood that Memphis or App uh, App State do uh I think there are some reasonable I don't even want to say counters to those arguments but just uh context I think a lot of West Virginia people could tell you that Holgerson is a flawed head coach. Uh, I, I think they'd probably be happy to at this point. Uh, but there is something to be said for a Power 5 head coach electing to take a job at a G5 school. Uh, there, There is some level of power that comes with that. I do think they're, you know, I, I think they're probably a top 6 or top 8 G5 program. I don't, I don't know that there's too much room to argue that point. 
So, I mean, they, they're good. I don't, I, I think they're clearly behind the top teams, but putting them in this neighborhood would be behind those top teams that we, that we put in neighborhood four. So I think there's a case to make for them. I think there are better cases to make for App State and probably San Diego State as well. Let's come back to San Diego State. Is there any discussion around Tulane? My only note there is is that it seems like Willie Fritz could stay there for a long time and they could just be this eight or nine win team every single season. Is that good enough to be there? Are you just not confident that Willie Fritz will be there that long? They don't have a history of winning. Any conversation about that? Because I'm curious. I'm on the fence with that. Like, if you made a great argument that Tulane wants to be, like, Tulane could be in the fifth one, I'd be on board with that. I'm curious if you have anything for them at all. That seems like too many ifs for me. Like, I, I, I feel like if you're telling me what's more likely, Willie Fritz is the coach at Tulane in 2028, and they've won, I don't know, 60 games over that time span, or neither of those things are true, both or neither, I'd take the neither. I mean, I, I think... Well, even if they do, I don't even know if that fits what you laid out for this neighborhood. I mean, even if they win 60 games over, what is that, seven, eight years, that's probably not quite enough to do it. It's, it's a team that I don't see going three and nine, four and eight. So they have that part of it for me. The consistency is there. I just don't see Tulane popping up for a 10 win season and 11 win season kind of being like in that second tier for a new year's six bowl. I don't see that part of it. Yeah. I think they're six. I think we put them six. Let's go back to SMU before we go to San Diego state. Any interest in them being in this neighborhood? I mean, they could be, I, th- I think they have the potential. I think uh, over the last couple of years, they've showed some consistency. They, they've showed that they can win multiple ways. Uh, so if, if you if you feel if you feel like they should be, I, I I'd be all right with that. No, not really. I mean, I'm, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't even know why I brought them up because if I don't feel that great about Houston, I don't know how you can put SMU above Houston. I don't think that would be right. Probably not. Even if you trusted Dykes that much more than Holgerson, which I do a little bit more, but not that much more. I don't know if that would be fair. So I think that you need to save him for six, or we'll see how that kind of shakes out. San Diego State, if they had Rocky Long, I'm fine with it. This is a Chris Peterson-Washington situation. I don't think that San Diego State is getting the Brady Hoke that they had, what was it, 10, 15 years ago. I don't even know if it was that long ago, 10, 12 years ago or so. That worries me a little bit. I don't know if the consistency is still going to be there. When Rocky Long stepped down from San Diego State, part of me was kind of wondering if like he would just become defensive coordinator, but then he went and did that in New Mexico instead. So that would have given me a little bit of faith in the consistency, but the Brady Hoke factor, I don't know what's going to happen with them. When you lose a guy that's been that good and that consistent for that long, I worry about a program like that. I think Washington is a great comp. That's a good pull by you. Do you think we should put New Mexico in neighborhood five? If we put New Mexico State in five, I think you have to put the Lobos right alongside them. That's we. I think we're showing remarkable consistency across episodes here. I think we are too. I think we are too. Where I do don't you... know. I don't know if there's another G five here, but Navy. Navy is the only one that's kind of staring at me, and they lack the. I don't know if Navy can go eleven and one. You know, maybe twice this decade. And I think that 2018 was clearly an anomaly, looking at what Kenny Amatololo has done. I think they kind of fit what App State... They're like an App State light in just a better conference. Yeah, I totally think Navy's in here. Yeah, I think the consistency, the the infrastructure, yeah. 
I was expecting to have to make a harder argument no. for Navy, but okay. I'm all on board on Navy. Louisiana would be the only other one. Um, Temple, BYU, UAB, Air Force, any of them get you excited? I have Air Force written down in my notes, but I think I think there are six. Yeah, I think there are at least a six. I mean, I talked about I'm not sure how many times Navy can go 10-2, and 11-1 this decade. I don't know if Air Force can do that one time this decade. They just kind of live in that 7-5, and 8-4 region. Uh, we'll see how we define six, but I'm very skeptical of, of putting Air Force that high. So it seems like that's it for the G5. Going back to a couple, unless you have anybody else for G5. No. Going back to a couple of the P5 teams or several P5 teams that we had touched on, uh, on Monday's episode, West Virginia, we talked about a little bit. Iowa State, TCU, you, you brought Michigan State late. Uh, and then Minnesota, any of those five do you think are locks in this neighborhood? I think TCU is for sure. Even though we've ripped on the consistency, we have to assume Gary Patterson's going to be there still for a while. I don't know how you can drop them down much lower than a Kentucky, than an Arizona State, if we're putting them in this neighborhood. I agree. Uh, I think they have to be here. I, I think... It goes back to something we talked about the last episode. The Big 12 is just interesting with how you have good teams that have really like competitive schedules deep into the season, and they're still somehow like sixth in the conference standing. So it's it's just a weird conference. And TCU, I think, fits the profile. I think we we mentioned Baylor here. Uh, I'm interested to hear you talk about West Virginia. I want to circle back to Minnesota, and then I've got a few more on my list as well. I think Iowa State's a lock here, too. I think that Matt Campbell has shown that he's going to be there at least for a little bit, and he's not going to bail for some mid-level job to make a couple million dollars more per year. His buyout would seem to indicate that he's going to be there for a little bit longer. If Matt Campbell leaves, obviously. I mean, he's picking—he would be leaving behind a much better situation than he inherited than any other Paul Rhodes, any other Iowa State coach inherited before them. So there's a little bit of faith that somebody could come in and still go like seven and five, still go eight and four each year. But I think Matt Campbell is going to be there for a little bit, at least long enough for me to have faith that this program can get rolling and be consistent and kind of be like in that fringe below the Big 12 title contention. You're not feeling Iowa State, are you? Uh, I don't know how long he's going to be there and somebody's got to be at the bottom of that conference. Sorry, somebody's got to be above Kansas, but below everyone else. Well, so probably above well, no, Texas so, Tech. So too. hold on, well, yeah, I was going to say so that I'm I'm thinking that's Texas Tech because I would be fine. I'm curious your argument too for West Virginia. I'm fine with putting Iowa State, TCU, and West Virginia in this neighborhood, and then probably figure out what we do with Texas Tech. And we also and have Baylor in this neighborhood, right? And I, I don't I don't care. Like I'm not worried about too, putting too many Big Twelve teams in this neighborhood. Four would be a lot. But I don't think there's an argument for Texas Tech in this neighborhood, whereas I think that Iowa State lives in that Baylor range. It's really hard for me to make an argument. I mean, Baylor, like Iowa State still has their head coach. Baylor doesn't. And I get that Baylor's ceiling has been higher than Iowa State for the last 10 years, but like Iowa State still has their guy for at least this year. And I've said that I think the coaching carousel is going to be weird this year, so I don't think Matt Campbell is going to leave after one year. Probably not even after two or three years. I think Matt Campbell's going to be there for at least two or three more years. And Baylor doesn't even have their guy. We have no idea what's going to happen with Baylor. So how can we put Baylor in here and not Iowa State? I guess this is my central question. And I think I have your answer, but I'll I'll kind of dial you in here. If Matt Campbell leaves after the 2022 season, do you think their program sustains the momentum that he has built for them? Some of it. So let's say that they go like... 
let's say they have 20, 27 regular season wins over the next three years. They average nine regular season wins over the next three years. That seems reasonable, right? Sure. So at that point, they'll have five, six years of pretty consistent winning under their belt. They'll be a much more attractive job for somebody else. Yeah, I think that they could still stay like in that seven to nine win ballpark, maybe pop up for a 10 win season once from 2023 to 2029. Sure. I think they can hire a lot better head coach than we think they could. I mean, they got Matt Campbell, who was like semi in demand. Not not everybody was crawling for him, but he was still like a pretty good hire. So they could probably get an even better hire this time. Okay, you sold me. West Virginia. You brought them up potentially. I mean, you didn't even bring them up. They kind of just came into the conversation for the fourth neighborhood. We both like Neil Brown a lot. That's a situation where I could see Neil Brown leaving. If he goes 10-2, and 10-2 and in back-to-back seasons, you would think like an SE, like an Ole Miss type of job would come open that he would be interested in, like a Mississippi State type of job, not those two specifically in the next two years. But let's say Neil Brown does win, I don't know, 20, again, 27-ish games over the next three years. I think that might be generous, giving he's probably at least a year or two rebuilding away from getting there. But I don't know how long Neil Brown's going to be there. And then if he leaves, it kind of just feels like everything resets again, right? Yes. I feel like West Virginia has very little momentum right now as a program. Uh, and, And I think they get up and going fast. You know, if you have one nine and three season in Morgantown, like it, it happens quickly there, but it also tends to fall apart really quickly too. So it, it's, it is really hard to gauge. I think, I think over the last two decades, they, they've had, they've showed too much, too many good seasons, too many, you know, coaching changes. There's been too much good, I think, to really drop them too far. But I do wonder, I think honestly, uh, what what their place is in this Big 12 because somebody has to lose games in that conference. And it feels like West Virginia has more disadvantages than a lot of other people. Uh, so, And that's on top of what you're talking about with, I, I wouldn't imagine Neil Brown is going to be there. You know, Dan Holgerson was there, what, seven years? Do you think Neil Brown's going to be at West Virginia for seven years? God, no. I don't either. No chance. No yeah. chance at all. We did this uh, on Monday's episode where I asked you where you thought that uh, Tennessee ranked in total wins after Fulmer left. So 2009 to 20, 2019, I think they were 66. West Virginia, since they joined the Big 12, so eight seasons, 2012 to 2019, where do you think they rank among FBS teams for wins over those eight years? Oh, probably not very good. Uh, I, I know that the – so they they had two seasons, 2019 to 2014, where they were outright bad. They, they got sort of one nice marquee win both of those seasons. But the rest of it, it's been mostly good, never really great. Like even those strong seasons where like college game days in Morgantown and Will Greer is, you know, is on the national stage, they still finished like seven and five, eight and four those years. So I would say it's probably pretty far back in the pack. So you're not going to just give me a number? Give you a number where, where they rank out of all FBS teams? Yeah, not their total wins over that time. Where they rank? That's all I'm looking for here. Oh, oh, I thought you were asking me to rank where I thought they ranked for wins, like we do with Tennessee. Um, yeah, where they rank for wins among FBS teams? You are struggling with this question. Yeah, wow, I'm really not doing well here. Uh, so I, over eight years, West Virginia <laughs> joined the Big Twelve in 2012. Eight years from then. Where do you think they rank among FBS teams for total wins? I would say below the midway point. I would say below like 60. 
Really, I thought you'd be closer. They're tied for 55th. So, so they're in that same ballpark as Nebraska, as Duke, kind of like as Texas, Pittsburgh, Ole Miss, that type of range. They're also with Notre Dame, but that was weird because of the one horrible season. But yeah, I mean, they're they're right in... I think that suggests that they're kind of like the win total is there, and I think that they might be around that win total going into the next decade. But like you said, even when they were good, like they only had one 10-win season over those eight years. They had more seasons with five or fewer wins than 10-win seasons. I don't think you can put them in this. Like the consistency is there for the six, seven, eight wins, but I think we're going to see more of that with the six neighborhood where we put like a whole ton of teams into that neighborhood. I don't think they're in this neighborhood. I'm I'm okay with them not being in this neighborhood because, like I said, somebody has to lose games in that conference, and it feels like West Virginia is an easy place to assign those losses to. So I, I get that they jump up and they have really nice seasons, and, and you know you see them in the AP Top 25 at some point in a lot of seasons, but I, I just don't know that this is where they live anymore like they did 10 years ago. So if, you're, if you think they're na- a neighborhood six— I mean, I can't really argue with you. I have two Big Ten teams that I think are for sure in this neighborhood. I didn't think that Michigan State deserved any consideration for the fourth neighborhood, but I think you have to put them in five. You can't just ignore what D'Antonio did, and I get the coaching change, and I said on Monday's episode, I don't even know how well Mel Tucker is going to work out, but it's still a good job. It's still a good program. They have a lot of issues at his university, as an athletic department program, all that stuff, but it's still a a pretty good, consistent team that we've seen pop up and do that. I mean, they've popped up to be like in the third neighborhood. They've kind of had those seasons where they've actually contended for a playoff berth and then made one. So I think you have to put Michigan State in this neighborhood. And I think you have to put Minnesota in this neighborhood. And I get that we've only seen one really pop-up year. And I think that P.J. Fleck will probably only be there for three years. But I, I, for some reason, I think that you have to look at the recruiting what they're doing. We've never seen that in Minnesota history. We talk about so much about inheriting different programs where they were. I just talked about Iowa State. I mean, you talked a couple episodes ago about Washington, where Jimmy Lake is coming into the program versus where Steve Sarkeesian came in versus where Chris Peterson came in. Whoever takes over for P.J. Fleck is inheriting a Minnesota program that probably won't be a better job than it is at that time. It'll be the best job that Minnesota has ever offered in their entire history. So I think that, God, I, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know if they're in this this neighborhood. Where are you at with them? I almost talked myself out of it thinking about you, it. The, the case for Minnesota completely rests, rests on the fact that they were good in 2019. Yeah. In, if you go back 100 years prior to last season for Minnesota, they have one 10-win season. Oh, I'm aware of all of that. Yeah. Trust me. And I'm yeah, and I know you are because you're up there, right? But it's it's just if you if you want to put a lot of stuff, if you go, you know what, we know what we have with PJ. They were good last year, they're gonna sustain that. I I inherently don't like all of these spots that we've gotten into over four episodes now where we have one year of X program and we have to make a decision. Are they going to be that, or is it just, is that the high watermark? I don't like any of that. I didn't like it when we had to do it with LSU and all these other ones. But if you want to make the case that Minnesota's neighborhood five because it's sustainable, okay, like we can do that. We can put it. I think here. it's hard because I think they have more potential than an Iowa State. But I think they're also, I mean, it, it's like Kentucky, but if we were more confident, we both think that Mark Stoops is going to be at, I do at least, I think you said this too, that Mark Stoops is going to be at Kentucky for quite a while. We don't know if P.J. Flex is going to be at Minnesota. So it seems like they're the Kentucky, but we're just not sure about the coaching situation. It's weird. 
I think they have more potential or as much potential as almost any program on this this neighborhood list here, but we're just worried about the coaching factor. I like, yeah, I like their path to the play. I like that they're coming out of the Big Ten West. I like. There's a lot of things to like there. Um, I, I man, if I had two years instead of one year of of really high level stuff with them, I would feel so much better. But I, I think you could put them either way. So I. I, I would defer to you because you are the local expert here. Uh, so I'm going to defer where they go to you. Your call. I think I'll put them down in sixth. I th- I am very excited about the future moving forward, but I don't think I can just... I noticed as I was talking, trying to make a case for them, it was a very empty argument. It was just more of what I feel, who I've talked to in the athletic department, how people kind of respond to P.J. Flight. That's what's given me the optimism there, but I don't know if that's an entirely fair argument. So I think they would have to go into six. Where are you at with Michigan State? Michigan State is really interesting, man. Like, the, I think you put them in five because you trust Antonio. But I, what I see with them is that they are nose diving, and I don't know that they're ever going to come out of it. And if you told me they were they were six, like if you really wanted to get into the projection mode here and tell me they were six, I would get that argument. I think there's an argument to make that they might fall all the way to seven. Now, that's really trying to do some kind of crazy forecast thing. Uh, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but I am aware of what the other argument looks like, and I'm not entirely convinced that it's wrong. I think I shit the bet on both them and Minnesota. I think that my argument was flawed for Michigan State. Just when we talk through Minnesota, I have a hard time saying that Michigan State has more potential than Minnesota. Don't you? I think just the fact that Minnesota has a lot less traffic in its way makes me want to buy Minnesota stock more than Michigan State. When I think that we saw what Fleck can do in his third season, like they, they weren't, they, he didn't take over like some broken program from Tracy Clay's. Yes, they had the sexual assault problem. Yes, there were issues within the program, but he didn't take over like a two and ten team. But he still brought them to that point to real Big Ten West contention in his third season. Like, I don't know how long it's going to take Mel Tucker to put together a team that could do that in the West. I mean, we can talk about East and West, but for Mel Tucker to put together a team that just put them in the West for now that could do what Minnesota did last year, I think it's going to take a few years. Minnesota's already at that point, and Mel Tucker could be at Michigan State for the entire decade. P.J. Fleck probably won't be at Minnesota. But I think it's really hard to say right now that there's more conference and national potential for Michigan State than Minnesota. I think I would put Minnesota in five well over Michigan State. I, going into this conversation, I kind of just assumed that Michigan State would be in, in five, but I don't think they are. So far, we have Miami, Baylor, North Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, Arizona State, Memphis, App State, Navy, Iowa State, and TCU. I think you got to put Michigan State down. I think you put Minnesota down, wait for one more season. If they go 10-2 and two this year, they are definitely in five. Shit, they might even probably be in four uh, if they do that again or go 11-1, and one, something like that. Other teams that are on my list to talk about, Nebraska, Washington State, Virginia, Mississippi State, and Ole Miss. Any of those on your list? Nebraska, no. UVA. Not even close. Not even close on Nebraska. Yeah, not even close. UVA, I'm going to tell you right now, they peaked last year, and you should expect them to come back down at least next season, maybe even for the next couple. So I am... A lot of these, I'm I'm t- I'm torn when we have to make a decision. UVA, I'm pretty confident. 
the decision you go with them is you you keep them in six because they they are not going to repeat this year what they did last year. They're going to go back down. Got it. How about Mississippi State or Ole Miss? Uh, I think that the fighting Lane Kiffins should be in neighborhood one, but I was uh, I was I was told no during. The I think you initially brought them up for three or four. I think like in a text exchange, you're like, yeah, maybe we should talk about Ole Miss. I think Lane Kiffin is going to win the next twenty eight national championships. I don't see how you can put Ole Miss over Minnesota, over West Virginia, over Michigan State. I don't think there's any argument for that. I mentioned Washington State. I like Nick Rolovich a lot. I don't think there's an argument for that, but I was curious if you had anything. I don't think you can put Mississippi State above those two teams. Is there anybody else that can – this neighborhood is shockingly small. I feel like it just needs more teams. Is there anybody that should be in here? I don't think so. I think we have it all. This is weird. I did not expect it to be that small. But I think I think six is where things start to open up because with six, now that you're in just sort of a straight middle class lane, you're talking a huge amount of power five schools. Like probably the majority of the remaining power five schools are in neighborhood six, along with competent G5 programs that are sort of routinely in that top 25, top 40, you know, stratosphere of, of awareness uh, that it's there's a lot of people in six like I don't even know if we go through them all here it's just if that's you, what I was wondering do you want to hop into six because so we think that Michigan State Minnesota Houston and West Virginia will be in this neighborhood yes beyond that yeah I mean it could be 40 teams I think there's an argument and to me this neighborhood seems like the bowl eligibility you are consistently in the six to eight win neighborhood you might pop up for what Minnesota did last year once a decade that's yes. what it feels like that these teams are locked into that. Yeah, and there are teams in that uh, in neighborhood six that we haven't even breathed a discussion of yet. It's the Pittsburgh, it's Cal, Indiana, Wake Forest. Um, even if you like Oregon State moving forward, I don't even know if we could have this discussion. It might be a full episode discussion for episode or for neighborhood six. Is Georgia Southern in neighborhood six? <laughs> Probably. Like, it's a lot of teams. Georgia Tech? I mean, Georgia Tech is still really low, but I think that we both agree we like their potential moving forward. I mean, if you like Arkansas's potential moving forward, I mean, I think that's a discussion where there's going to be a lot of teams that are really bad right now. Arkansas is a horrible, horrible team, but for the next 10 years, is Arkansas going to be on the same level as West Virginia? I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. I think somebody's got to lose games in the SEC West. I don't think we can do six today, so maybe we'll wrap it there. Again, Miami, Baylor, North Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, Arizona State, Memphis, App State, Navy, Iowa State, and TCU in this fifth neighborhood. What is that? 11 teams? I really expected us to put 20 to 25 teams in that neighborhood today. Maybe we'll have more than eight neighborhoods. Maybe now that we've spent all this time breaking down what neighborhood five is, we should change the definitions and do it all over again. I'd be fine with that. Because I'm starting to get worried that we're not going to have full college football this year. I've, I've gone in and out, and I'm at the point now where I'm a little bit concerned. So maybe we just need content. All right. Everybody needs we'll, content. We'll be back on Monday to uh, maybe maybe do the, all of Neighborhood 6. I'm kind of worried about the volume there. We'll see how that goes. And then probably the next couple episodes finish off these neighborhoods. Part of me kind of hopes not. I really enjoyed this great idea on your part instead of just purely ranking the teams, we would love to have you all back on Monday for the next episode of the High Motor Podcast. I saw a friend today, it had been a while. And 
we forgot each other's names But it didn't matter cause deep inside The feeling still remained the same We talked of knowing one before you've met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces in